This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. H. Byron Ballard is a practicing witch in Asheville, North Carolina. She is also the author of four books. Ahead, she'll talk about the spirits and cryptids of Appalachia. I'm Appalachian multiple generations back, and I've been a witch my whole life. My mother's family all identified with that word back to like five generations that I know of. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. Dignitaries gathered to celebrate West Virginia's selection as the epicenter for the Appalachian Hydrogen Hub, known as Arch 2. Brianna Heaney has the story. 79 energy industrial areas apply to be a part of the Regional Clean Hydrogen Hub program. The Appalachian Hydrogen Hub was one of seven chosen. The Regional Clean Hydrogen Hub program is part of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. U.S. Senator Manchin says this has the potential to stimulate job growth in the state, stabilize the cost of energy, and lengthen the life of the coal industry in the state. I can guarantee you one thing. You better be energy independent if you want to be energy secured. Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm says the federal investment of $7 billion in the seven hydrogen hubs across the nation is projected to generate another $50 billion in investment. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Lawmakers questioned West Virginia's state health officer during a meeting of the Joint Committee on Health about the agency's lack of action. Emily Rice has more. Commissioner of the Department of Health and Human Resources, Bureau for Public Health, and West Virginia State Health Officer Matthew Christensen presented a state health plan to the Joint Committee on Health. But lawmakers questioned the plan's similarities to past years and the lack of specific goals. Delegate Amy Summers, a Republican from Taylor County, said she and other members of the Joint Committee on Health grew frustrated at the inaction. Where I think we reach frustration is that We never get past the planning stage, and we're wanting to be where we get like three to six measurable goals, and and what are they going to be? Christensen said the current state health plan will be the one implemented, but it will take time. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. More than 300 teens are in out-of-state facilities because because there's no place to house them in West Virginia. Eric Douglas has more. The Joint Committee on the Judiciary heard testimony Monday from Judge Steve Redding from the 23rd Judicial Court in Berkeley County. He says one of the biggest problems he faces as a judge is there is no in-state facility to handle violent or out-of-control teens in West Virginia. This creates an untenable situation where it's too dangerous to leave the child in the community, but no in-state facility will accept them again because of the severity of their behaviors. Jeffrey Pack, the commissioner for the Bureau for Social Services, confirmed there are 320 violent West Virginia teens in out-of-state facilities. Both men agreed that the state legislature should look into establishing an in-state facility. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Eric Douglas in Charleston. The weather is getting cooler, the days shorter, and the leaves have started changing. Brianna Heaney sat down with park ranger Dave Barry at the Canyon Rim Visitor Center in the New River Gorge to talk about why the leaves change colors and where to go to see some of those warm fall hues. 
Why do the colors change in the fall? So most of the years, uh, deciduous trees look green, and that's because of the production of chlorophyll. Uh, chlorophyll is the pigment in the leaves that gives it that green color. And that's used for photosynthesis. It's basically the way that uh, trees produce food. Uh, they make their own food, and they do that through photosynthesis with sunlight and chlorophyll. So throughout the year, the chlorophyll is giving the leaves their green color, and we don't see some of the other pigments. So the fall comes along, and these trees kind of stop their food production for the season. It really relates to the temperatures, but also the lack of sunlight in the fall. The nights are getting longer, and there's not as much sunlight, so the trees stop producing as much food. So when that chlorophyll shuts down, some of those other pigments start to show up. Uh, the yellows are pigments that are already in the leaves that start to show themselves. The reds have to do more with the sugars that are stored in the leaves. What are the different elements that go into determining the fall forecast? So there's a lot of different variables, uh, and I don't think we totally understand all the variables that make for good fall colors. Uh, but the best thing in the fall is going to be some nice warm sunny days and then cooler nights. Uh, it's also good for having some precipitation in the springtime uh, before the growing season, earlier in the spring season, if we get a good wet spring and then the fall comes along, you get some sunny days and cool nights. That's what really will give you the, the best colors. What chemicals or elements make the warm, bright colors that we associate with autumn? So the carotenoids are the yellow pigments in the leaves, and those are pigments that are there year-round. Uh, chlorophyll is what makes the green pigment, and the chlorophyll or lack of chlorophyll in the fall is, is what lends these other uh, pigments to come out. Um, the sugars in the, in the uh, leaves are uh, really what give it the, the red colors. What are some colors that we can expect from certain trees? So different trees produce different colors. I think some of the, the most brilliant colors here come from the maples. Uh, that's where you get the really orange and red colors from the sugar maples and different kinds of maples here. Uh, oaks, so usually more yellowish, brownish colors. Uh, but the maples are probably the most vibrant of all the, the leaves here. They're beech trees. I think they're more uh, the yellow pigments. Uh, and then, you know, what's really neat here, too, is we have a mix. You also have some coniferous trees that are evergreens. You've got rhododendrons all around here, which are all also evergreens. So you still have some of the green, which really gives it a diversity of different color uh, palettes here. Tell me, what are some trails here that visitors can hike on, walk along, that is going to give them spectacular views of the fall foliage? Really, you can see fall colors anywhere in the park, but some of the trails that take you out to the viewpoints are especially scenic this time of year. If you head out to you know, Long Point or the Grandview Rim Trail up at Grandview, those trails are going to give you those really beautiful panoramic views. And a lot of it depends on where the colors are at when you visit, too. Uh, again, the higher elevations are where they're going to be starting now, so right now I'd look for some of those trails like the Grandview Rim Trail up at Grandview where it's a little higher elevation. You're going to see more colors. But later on in the season, if you get here later, it may be better, you know, at some of the trails that are down in the lower gorge, you know, Stone Cliff Trail running along the, the river might be a fun one for later in the season. That was Brianna Heaney and New River Gorge Park Ranger Dave Beery discussing the science behind autumn's changing colors and tips on places to see the fall leaves. You can listen to the longer version of this conversation on our website at wvpublic.org. 
This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 752. Mostly cloudy skies today. There's a slight chance of rain. Highs in the 50s. Tonight, partly cloudy with lows in the 40s. Tomorrow, partly cloudy with highs in the 50s and 60s. Support for WVPB is provided by Extreme Networks. Providing customer-driven networks with a diverse range of solutions and local support in West Virginia. Online at ExtremeNetworks.com. And by Wells Home Furnishings, West Virginia's source for American-made furnishings made since 1994. Learn more at wellshome.com. H. Byron Ballard is a practicing witch in Asheville, North Carolina, and the author of four books about the craft, including her latest, Small Magics, Practical Secrets from an Appalachian Village Witch. Inside Appalachia's Bill Lynch spoke with Ballard about the spirits and cryptids of Appalachia. Byron, first, thanks for coming on Inside Appalachia. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, it's not very often I get to speak to an, an actual Appalachian village witch. So <laughs> you, you may be the first. You may be. I the don't first. know, Bill. I, you know, I listened to the show and I, I'm pretty sure you've probably talked to a witch or two already. They just might not identify that way. <laughs> well, just to kind of get the, as a getting to know you sort of thing. Uh, how did you become such a thing? How did you become an Appalachian village witch? Well, I mean, I took that on as a as a branding thing, just to be honest. I mean, I'm I'm Appalachian multiple generations back and I've been a witch my whole life. My mother's family all identified themselves and were identified with that word back to like five generations that I know of. So I've always been that. And then when it came time for me to to kind of have a a hat rack to hang all my hats on, Mm -hmm. that felt like a good one. So I. I called myself the village witch and I know some people who function as village witches in Britain. And one of them contacted me and she was like, well, what exactly is it you do that you think you're a village witch? And I said, well, I go out and I bless the cornfields and I, I used to bless the tobacco crop and I'll come out and clear your house if it's got something uncomfortable in it. And I'll bless your babies and I'll, you know, bury your grandmas and, you know, all that stuff. And, and, and my friend said, Oh, well, no, that's that's exactly what a village witch does. And I said, well, yeah. Witchcraft or being a witch in the 21st century, how is that different than being a witch in the 20th century or even the 19th century? I would say it's less threatening than it used to be. But in some places, it's still just as threatening. Um, How is the role different? That's a really good question. I mean, for people like me, the role isn't any different, obviously. I'm going to do a baby blessing. I'm going to do a hand fasting when people want to get married. I will do a funeral, all that stuff that people traditionally did. Plus, right now, I've got tinctures laid up in the dining room that I have to remember to go in and shake every day so that they're going to be good um, next month. So I do a lot of those similar things. But something that we have the ability to do now and the privilege to do is that I can openly talk about it 
and I can openly teach it to other people. So people don't have to rely on reading a book. So, I mean, I'm a writer. I want people to read all the books, but I, I can teach people face to face and I can tell them what works for me and what doesn't work for me and encourage them to do those things that they feel like they're drawn to do, but maybe don't have the courage or the confidence to try. So that's one big difference. But the practice itself, I don't know that it's really changed. We um, we joke about there's a ceremonial magic and then there's what I do, which is sort of I reach in my pockets and see what's in my pockets and I go pull a little plantain and some rabbit tobacco and stir it all together. And for some people, there is a sense of witchcraft being a very high ordered religion. And you will hear some people talk about that they are a member of a witchcraft religious tradition. But for people like me, it's not necessarily a religious thing, though it is connected with spirits and with spirit things, but it's not necessarily a religion. Let's talk a little about folklore. Places like the United Kingdom have pixies and elves in Europe, and we have goblins, haints, and the Mothman. Don't forget the Mothman. Did we bring our fairies and spirits over with us when we immigrated from Europe or wherever, or were they already here? I'm going to say yes to both of those, because I think already there are spirits that are attached to land. And these are some of the oldest mountains in the world. And how could they not have spirits attached to them? But I also think that a lot of my people, certainly, they brought some of that with them. And they they absolutely brought the folklore with them. But now you bring up Mothman, and I've got a question for you. Oh, no. Are all cryptids men? I mean, there's the Boojum, there's Mothman, there's the New Jersey Devil. Are they all boys? That was Appalachian Village Witch H. Byron Ballard speaking with Bill Lynch. You can hear the rest of that interview and more on Inside Appalachia, Sunday mornings at 7 and Sunday evenings at 6 on West Virginia Public Broadcasting. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Caroline McGregor is our assistant news director, and she produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. Mm-hmm.